Samson chose to form intimacy with the world, with pagan people, and the Bible says that this is a big problem. We cannot be unequally yoked together or joined somehow with the world, and this does not only imply marriage, but any other relationship that implies adjoining and intimacy. This can go for business relationships, for friendships, and so on. Our intimacy cannot be with the world in any kind of way. Hello and welcome to another message from the Latter Rain Ministries, where we're dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. In today's message, we'll be talking about relationships and sin. As followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be careful with all kinds of relationships, and especially if it involves falling into sin. Sin is unquestionably destructive, and if we're not careful with our relationships, they can be our downfall and impact our here and now and eternity. We always need to remember that the devil has an easy job and that all he has to do is try to deviate us from God's way and he will use other people to get us off track. Today's message is inspired on the book of Judges, chapter 16. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Holy Lord, Mighty God, blessing and honor and glory be to you, O Lord, for you are worthy to be praised and worthy to be exalted, O Lord. For no one is like you, and no one can do the things that you can, and no one has done what you have done for us. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for your love and your mercy, for your grace. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for your Son, Jesus Christ, for the salvation, for the forgiveness of sins, and for the opportunity of eternal life. Heavenly Father, I praise you. I worship you, O Lord. Blessed be your name, O God. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, O Lord, that you speak clearly to us, that you help us to understand, that you help us to have ready hearts and open minds, O Lord. Heavenly Father, help us to think about what your will is and what your desire is, and to take heed to the warnings that you give us. I give you thanks and I praise you, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's key passage is from the book of Judges, chapter 16. This is the word of the Lord. Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. When the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying, In the morning, when it is daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate and the city and the two gateposts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. After it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah, and the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him and find out where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him, and every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies, and with what you may be bound to afflict you. And Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound them with them. Now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room. 
And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me what you may be bound with. So he said to her, If they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Therefore Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And men were lying in wait, staying in the room, but he broke them off his arms like a thread. Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom. So she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and pulled out of the batten and the web from the loom. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass, when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death, that he told her all his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. And she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So it happened when their hearts were merry that they said, Call for Samson, that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them. And they stationed him between the pillars. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars which support the temple, so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about three thousand men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. Then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death 
were more than he had killed in his life. And his brothers and all his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Ashtol in the tomb of his father Manoah. He had judged Israel 20 years. In what we just read, we saw that Samson's life did not end well. God had a specific purpose for Samson's life. He had great plans for Samson, especially to help his people deal with their enemies, with those that would constantly frustrate and torment them. Those plans were accomplished because there is no stopping God's work. But Samson's life was nowhere near what it could have been. If Samson would have been zealous for the Lord, if he would have followed more closely God's will, his life would have been very different and God's will would have still been accomplished. This is the lesson that we all must learn. God's plans will come to fruition, but how we follow God is what determines how we fit in them personally and how we form part of them. This is something that every follower of Jesus Christ must be sensitive to. When we disobey and sin against God, we are the ones that come out losing and not God. God may even use our lives, even when we are in sin, but that doesn't mean that we'll be benefited personally. This is what many people misunderstand. They think that because God gleans certain things out of their lives and turn negatives into positives, that this makes the sin that they did excused and overlooked. And that is not the case at all. Just as the word says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says. If we start by looking at Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23, it says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness." God may use what a person does for his honor and glory and for the benefit of others, even if they don't have good intentions. But that doesn't mean that it will count to their benefit. God may use a person to prophesy or preach and cast out demons and even do wonders, all for his glory. But if their heart is not right, those actions do not justify their sin. Are you understanding what is being said? Even if the outcome is good, if you are wrong with the Lord, God will use that outcome, but you will still lose out not only in the blessing, but even be disqualified for eternity. We need to be concerned with getting things right with the Lord. That's why this notion of taking the Lord's thing so lightly and about excusing sin and about all making it all simple and worry-free does not align with God's word. There will be many surprises before the throne of God on Judgment Day, just like we just read in Matthew. Don't you think that it will be a terrible surprise thinking that you got it all right and that God himself tells you in the end, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And where do you think that depart from me takes you? To heaven? To eternal life? Absolutely not. That is God's judgment that leads to eternal punishment. That is why we are so wisely advised through the word when it says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only. But now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling do not imply irresponsibility or carelessness or taking things for granted and so on. At least that is not what my dictionary would lead me to believe. We are advised to make sure we get it right, that we in fact understand for our own good 
what we are doing and why we're doing things because it is our soul that is in play here, whether we in fact do make it into eternity or not. There are so many people willing to excuse their sin and the evil intentions of their heart that they're willing to listen to anything that justifies it. If I understand the word of God, I cannot give any other advice other than to be careful and to make sure you get your relationship with the Lord right. There is just too much at stake here, not only for me, but for you. Do you think you are going to care about anything or anyone else when you stand before the throne of God while you await his verdict of what will happen to you, not for a few years, but for all eternity? Think about it. Try to imagine that picture in your head if you can. I can tell you this, that when you stand before the almighty and eternal throne of God, you want for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to confess that he does in fact know you and that you have done his will while here on earth. And so just because something looks like it turned out well here and now does not mean that everything will be fine with you in the end. We need to be careful. I remember I had a conversation with a so-called Christian woman in Chile many years ago. She was somewhat young, but let's just say she was more young-minded than anything, like an adolescent. We were having the discussion of how to avoid bad consequences in our lives. And she replied that she found it necessary to make mistakes and not to try to avoid them so that she could have the experience. And unfortunately, that is not a good mindset. If God tells you through his word what you should do and the pages of the Bible are full of God's advice on how to avoid bad consequences, how can anyone who says that they mean to follow Christ think that it is necessary to obey the Lord so they can have the experience? This is one example of the kind of mentality that will put a person in a very precarious position before the Lord because excusing disobedience is exactly what Satan wants you to do. If we recall, mankind got into the mess they did because they did not take seriously what God said that they should not eat of the fruit of the forbidden tree. Adam and Eve sinned because they wanted to have the experience of being like God. Having said all of this, where did Samson go wrong and in such a way that ended his own life in tragedy? The first problem that we see is that Samson got involved with the wrong people and of course, for sinful reasons. And this is a problem. James chapter four says this, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. When we keep friendship with the world, we're going against God. It does not get any clearer than this. Do you really want to run the risk of being an enmity with God? I don't think so. Samson chose to form intimacy with the world, with pagan people, and the Bible says that this is a big problem. We cannot be unequally yoked together or joined somehow with the world, and this does not only imply marriage, but any other relationship that implies adjoining and intimacy. This can go for business relationships, for friendships, and so on. Our intimacy cannot be with the world in any kind of way. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us this regarding dependent relationships. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. 
Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 continues giving us this advice when it comes to physical intimacy. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It's pretty clear, no? Can we have intimacy with non-believers? Absolutely not. Can we get involved with fornication? Absolutely not. I know this will sound bad, especially considering where our society is today, including our so-called Christian society. I've heard women ask themselves this question, what would constitute a woman becoming a harlot? Having sex with 10 people, 20 people, 40 people, the famous one night stand? The biblical answer is once. The moment you offer yourself sexually to a person outside of marriage, once is all you need. That's how God sees it. And this is the same for men. And the Bible makes no difference with fornication between men and women who have sex outside of marriage. That's what fornication is. And all sex that is done outside of the sanctity of marriage is sin. And that includes living together, which is very common today and including in many of our churches. I'm sure there are many people that are balking at this right now, but that is what the Bible explains for our own good and to avoid certain destruction. But the great thing with the Lord is that there is forgiveness, but stop doing it. Stop sinning, repent, convert, change, leave it behind. Just like Jesus told the adulterous woman after saving her from getting stoned to death when he said, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. Everybody likes the forgiveness part, but it appears that everyone forgets the go and sin no more part. God will not forgive a sinful lifestyle and God will judge both the one that hides it and the one that flaunts it. Not being hypocritical about sin does not excuse sin as some would think. The consequences are the same for both, just like what happened to Samson. And the consequences can be experienced here and now, but even more frightening in eternity. This is what the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I told you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It says it very clearly. 
that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. There is no excusing a sinful lifestyle. Salvation can be compromised if there is a sinful lifestyle. So it's a lie that you don't need to worry about anything. You need to worry about unchecked sin. When it speaks about inherit, it refers to children. Children inherit from their parents. And if a child of God cannot inherit the kingdom of God, then where are they going? To heaven? I don't think so. You don't need a theological dictionary interpretation to understand plain English in this passage. That is why the practice of sin must stop in the believer. There must be repentance. There must be conversion. There is no salvation if there is sinful lifestyle. And turning this message off will not cancel out the truth of God in eternity before his throne on judgment day. People can try to hide and ignore the truth all they want and to disguise it in a false grace and in a message of demonic lies. But the truth is the truth, and it will be the truth for all eternity because God is truth. God does not change like we do. We are fickle. God is not. And so, what should our relationships be like? If we are truly followers of Jesus Christ, Mark chapter 5 gives us this insight about our prime example, Jesus Christ, where it says, while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Even within the 12 disciples, Jesus still had his inner circle, those that were closer to him than others. It's not that the others were bad, although we know that Judas Iscariot was among the 12. Jesus had more intimacy with those that were aligned with him, like Peter, James, and John. And even if we keep a close circle of godly people around us, we still need to be careful because we need to understand when our very close relationships are being influenced by the flesh rather than by the spirit. Because being with someone that is a believer and faithful to the Lord does not always mean that they will get it right and give us good advice all of the time. We need to remember that we are all still sinners. We may be forgiven if we're walking right, but still susceptible to sin if we are not careful. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 to 24, tells us about Peter, even though he was one of the three closest to Jesus, where it says, from that time Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Our own personal guidance should always come through the Lord, through the promptings of the Holy Spirit, always aligning with the word of God. When we listen to advice, even from our godly relationships, we need to verify whatever advice we get through our own personal relationship with the Lord. The bottom line is that if we choose to keep company with the world and we let sin dictate our lives, we are on a direct course to self-destruction again, even if we have come to the Lord. And finally, some may ask, 
If you're not supposed to keep company with non-believers, then how are they supposed to hear about God's salvation? And to answer this question, we need to do as Christ did. We should surround ourselves with those people that fear God and desire to do the Lord's will, but also allow ourselves some careful contact with those that need the Lord's help. Jesus did not live with those that had not made a decision to follow him yet. He walked with them when they decided to follow him and not before. He spent moments with people to give them the opportunity to listen, to be exposed to God's truth. And then it was up to that person to either take in and obey or dismiss. But the Lord kept walking after that. In other words, Jesus didn't chase after anyone that did not want to listen and or respect what was from God. Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 19 and 20 gives us more insight where it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, then I will bring you back. You shall stand before me. If you take out the precious from the vile, you shall be as my mouth. Let them return to you, but you must not return to them. And I will make you to this people a fortified bronze wall, and they will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you to save you and deliver you, says the Lord. And so it should be plain to see that it is God's will to help rescue the lost, the vile, but standing our ground in him, never giving in to the other person's influences or sinfulness. And it's very practical. Think about it this way. What good would you be to a person that is in a fallen state if you fall to their same level? Wouldn't that mean that now two people are in a fallen state? And if the so-called rescuer has fallen, then what do you think is going to happen? That is why we need to be careful at all times, always sensitive to the Lord's promptings, looking into his word for guidance, never giving in to sin that still dwells within us for our own good and for our own sake. We know that we cannot do things alone on our own strength. So we always need to rely on the Lord and to try to follow as closely as possible, especially as it relates to relationships. We need to be careful with who we keep company with because that could be the last mistake we make before going down a path that is hard to turn back from. God is a God of mercy and grace, but we limit that grace when we willfully disobey him and look to have friendship with the world with those that are in enmity with the Lord. We need to always keep in mind that this path of salvation and grace through Jesus Christ we have decided to follow is still a path that involves free will. God will try to keep us in line through many things, through his Holy Spirit, through his word, by allowing circumstances that help us understand that we need to come back to the path if we have strayed off. But one thing is certain, that God will not force us to stay with him. God is not going to shackle us to him. We are not in a prison when following the Lord. God is love, and in love, there is always free will. There is room for choice. God made us with his purpose in mind, but for us to fulfill that purpose because we want to fulfill that purpose, not because we have to or because there is no other choice. God ultimately wants what each healthy person wants, for people to want to be with them because they want to be with them, no matter how hard or challenging circumstances may be. That's why God compares our relationship with him to marriage. And in marriage, two people should want to be with each other because they want to be with each other, because they love each other, because they are like-minded in vital things, especially when it has to do with their relationship with the Lord. But just like marriage, 
If one of the individuals starts getting involved with things that start to break the marriage, sooner or later, if they're not careful, that's exactly what is going to happen. And even though God hates divorce, He allows for it when one of the individuals is unfaithful and commits adultery. And that adultery is synonymous to a sinful lifestyle. When a person decides to cheat on God with other people that are in a sin-fallen state, ultimately in enmity with Him. That is why God's grace is so great, because even though we were His enemies in our fallen state, He extended the opportunity of forgiveness of sins and eternal life through Jesus Christ, but only when we repent and convert from all of our sins when we turn to Him with all of our heart. That is the true essence of grace, and not the abuse as taught as grace in many places throughout the world. I will leave this with you as a final thought. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Holy Lord, Lord God, help us, O oh Lord, to understand, Lord God, that we need to be careful with our relationships. We need to walk a very careful line, Lord God, of who we choose to be with and what we choose to do. Help us, O oh Lord, to be careful with sin. Help us, O oh Lord, to not make a habit or a practice and least of all, a lifestyle of sin, Lord God. Help us, O oh Lord, to not take for granted the salvation, the forgiveness that we have through your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us, O oh Lord, to remember that it is a gift, it is a treasure, it is something holy that has been given to us, and we should treat it as such, and that we shouldn't cheapen it by just treating it as some trinket, as something that's not important when we fall into sin, and when we don't have any remorse, and when we do not repent from the wrong things that we do. Help us, O oh Lord, to, to be mindful of what that sacrifice was, that it was your Son that died on the cross for us. Help us, O oh Lord, not to take lightly the price that was paid for our sins, and help us to remember that the penalty of sin still remains, for the wages of sin is death. Help us, O oh Lord, Heavenly Father, to be careful with who we are and how, Lord God, we link up with people. Help us, O oh Lord, to be able to look for those that help us walk in you, Lord God. And Heavenly Father, help us to also know how to balance and understand how to be able to reach the lost, but not to the point to lose ourselves together with them, but rather to be able to help them, to be able to rescue them from their lost position, just like we once were. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks because you're graceful, because you're merciful, and because you love us, and you show your love through your instruction, through your wisdom. Heavenly Father, help us to take in your word. Help us to live out what you say in your word, to do what you want us to do. I give you thanks and I praise you, O Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Please join us again next time as we look into God's word together. If you have any questions or just need some prayer, please email us through our website 
If you want to listen to other messages, you can go to our website or look for our podcast in the Apple iTunes store under The Latter Rain Ministries to subscribe. The Latter Rain Ministries is a self-supporting Christian ministry dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. The Lord is near. May God bless you.